This horizontal conversation with James Ledbitter, aka The Vacuum Cleaner, was recorded for Mayfest 2022. The Vacuum Cleaner is an artist and activist. Drawing on his experience of mental health disability, he is interested in better ways to go mad. The Vacuum Cleaner has created one-man interventions and large-scale actions, as well as performance installation and film. His work is candid, provocative and playful. In this conversation, we talk about his show Exposure, which is based on interviews filmed with 47 health workers in Newham about the first wave of the pandemic. We recorded this conversation in the set of the show at Arnolfini Gallery, ahead of a performance of Exposure. The set design is by Sasha Gilmore, and the front rows aren't seats. They are a soft space with cushions and blankets and a big jute rug so that you can lie down to see the show. We talk about how James works with care in the making of his work and in how he thinks about care in relationship to audience experience. We also talk about the politics of rest and care. We invite you to find somewhere to lie down, to take some time out and listen to this conversation and we hope that you enjoy it. Having horizontal conversations with people, mm. and is there a broad theme to it? I mean, the I guess there's two things. the The premise is that uh, having a horizontal conversation with someone might be a different kind of conversation to one where we're kind of sitting across from each other at a table. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, something about the body more at rest or maybe more vulnerable uh, might make for a different kind of conversation. Maybe, maybe a kind of dreamier conversation or just potentially a different kind of conversation. But I suppose also I've, um, I've asked, everyone I've asked to speak to uh, is, are creating sort of diff- different ways of doing things and are working with rest and care and whether they're centering um, care. Like I spoke to Rosanna Diaz, who's a, a Bristol-based curator and facilitator and producer, and she centers rest and care in her production po- processes. And she's trying to sort of seed that in and um, develop ways to resource rest and pay the young artists and the young particularly the young artists of color that she's working with to to rest with like no strings attached um so i mean i've been following your work for years and um and well i'm really there's 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 loads of things that i'm really drawn to about your work but i really appreciate the way you um challenge narratives um and and the the way you like speak and present um like your story or other narratives um and also how much you think about care of the audience in your in your performances um because it feels like the shows you do have a real radical honesty to them and then thinking about how you care for the audience so there's and and the spaces that you create feel to me like uh resting spaces or, or or kind of non-normative spaces pockets where you can mm. be different in cool <laughs> so so i mean how did you come to those things or like when did you first start to uh think about care for the audience or, or creating these different spaces to be in? Um, so thinking about the participant or the audience um, so June Lingo you know June Lynn, who used to be one of the curators at In Between Time. Oh yes, I do. Yes, yes. Who now does um, Migrants in Culture 
mm-hmm. um, who I have a lot of respect for. Um, so she was helping me make a piece called Mental um, in like 2012 or something. And I showed her a version of it and she said it's too much (laughs) and I said well I hear what you're saying but it's not too much because that's my life and that's the lives of many people Mm -hmm. so I'm not going to censor that and she was like yeah fair enough but you need to think about what that's like for the viewer and it was just one of those like throwaway curatorial conversations you have with the curator like a good curator do you know what I mean Mm. and and so that started off a train of thought around um, yeah like how do you feel when you walk out of something um, and that and that process has just evolved more over time mm. um, and that is in where that's just about testing things though isn't it so so what do you what, what do you do for audiences in mental and what do you yeah do for audiences in exposure well i think let's uh, exposure is probably a better example because it's mm-hmm. more evolved mm-hmm. um so we do all the standard stuff like we we do a little content warning um, but so firstly we think about the sensors so in like trauma-informed models of care um, a lot of the practice in that world that I'm quite interested in is actually about the sensors so if if we ignore so mind body is one thing mm. and we experience trauma through the body as much as the mind mm-hmm. so and we experience the world through our senses like my two-year-old puts things in her mouth mm. to, to figure them out do you know what i mean mm. she's using her, all of her senses to do that so um we use the sense of smell a lot and the sense of touch so we serve chai tea because hmm. um, Sasha, uh, Sasha's mum's side of the family are Mauritian, so there's that. So there's this kind of sweet, spicy tea, milky tea thing. Um, and when I was filming, because of the pieces, everybody's from Newham or works in Newham, sorry. Mm. So obviously that's a big South Asian population. And when I'd say, when you're doing the filming thing and you do the, what did you have for breakfast question to get mm. the sound levels right, everybody would say I had milk tea. So I was like, oh, okay, that's like a thing. So let's bring that into the piece. And then Sasha's like, yeah, like uh, this is my, I think it, there was some connection there. Mm. So there's that kind of like, that sensory thing we give, um, I think when I was making it, kind of became aware about how young people use a lot of fidget toys. Mm. So we give the audience coriander to pluck all the way through the show. It becomes part of the piece later on. So you have something to do with your hands. Mm. Um, And we give the audience a piece of fruit. So there's a bit where you hear about the health workers experience of people dying Mm -hmm. and what it was like for them, you know, holding hands through pairs of gloves, the loss of humanity, the loss of touch Mm -hmm. in care. Um, And that bit, that bit is a lot. And so you get a piece of fruit afterwards just to eat. Mm -hmm. And you can just take that moment to eat that piece of fruit. Um, and then obviously the space in Newham we showed it in community centres so that has a particular aesthetic to it I mean we're in the Arnolfini now Mm. and that like I think 
now we're like, let's not do it in this kind of space again, because it's black and dark and theatrical, rather mm. than like, um, not that community centres are earthy, but do you know what I mean? It has like a, it belongs to a group of people and you can feel that when you're in there because things are broken or things are patched together and there's a beauty in that. Mm. Um, we've thought a lot about pace and rhythm. So there's pauses in it. So you might watch a section and then there's a gap for four minutes and nothing happens. Mm. So you can digest and mm. you can sit with it and those feelings can process in your body. Mm. Um, <coughs> Rhiannon Armstrong, who did the sound design, mm. who's brilliant, like they're really amazing. So they recorded a lot of bird song in Newham during lockdown. So that kind of underscores a lot of those gaps. Mm. Um, and and then there's also the structuring of the piece. And I think that was the same in mental. Um, <clears throat> the structuring doesn't really make sense because normally the rule is you put your best material at the end, your second best material at the beginning. Mm. It doesn't really matter what goes in the middle. <laughs> yeah. Right, that's the rule. That's kind of gone out the window with us. All our best materials in the middle. Ah. It's quite gentle at the beginning. And you're like, after like 20 minutes, like, well, where's this going? Mm. Uh, and then a lot of the material that can be challenging to hear mm -hmm. is in the middle. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of the material that is um, reflective mm -hmm. or there is beauty in it because we're talking about togetherness or solidarity mm -hmm. or imagining a different future is at the end. Mm -hmm. So you kind of like that structuring holds the difficult material in the middle so you're not leaving like having heard about very distressing, you know, mm. material. Mm. Um, obviously, it's a relaxed event, so you can just walk out. Mm. Um, is every event relaxed, is it? Um, well, I mean, let's, I think we need to be really honest. It's not relaxed in the, like, Tourette's here or sense of relaxed. Yeah. Um, it is perhaps, like, relaxed light. <laughs> if that's a fair term to use. Yeah. Like we say to the audience, you can walk around, you can walk out, you can come back in. Mm. But we also ask that you are really mindful of other people's viewing experience. Mm. And generally when we show exposure, people are really respectful of, because it is about bearing witness. Mm -hmm. And so, but equally, if somebody wants to step out and go to the loo and come back in again, that's totally fine. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, or people do, will talk to each other a little bit, or and that's all fine. Um, and then we have a mental health nurse. So Fox Irving, who's an artist, a really brilliant artist, but also their main job is as a mental health nurse. So they come on the stage at the beginning and they say, hello, I'm a mental health nurse and I'm here for you. And if you need to step out, if you're, you know, if you're having a wobble, there's a little space you can sit with Fox and Fox can hold you in that space, can think about what's going to happen for the rest of your day. So where are you going? Who's at home? Mm -hmm. um, who can you reach out to for support? Um, and particularly when we showed it in Newham, because we had a lot of health workers coming, there was some referring on to trauma services. Um, and again, that it's not really used very much. And my producer is like, it's really expensive, James, <laughs> to bring a mental health nurse. <laughs> and like in Newham, I think we did like 12 presentations of it. And we had like, maybe Fox was used like three times. But there's something about the holding of mm. that offer. Mm. That then you don't need it because the offer is made. Yeah. But equally... We had a nurse who'd been redeployed to the intensive care unit at Newham and came to see it and hadn't talked about what they'd seen and been through and lost it. And Fox was there mm. and Fox held them in that space. And for quite a while actually, and we were like, where's Fox? And we were like, oh no, they're still in that room. Okay, we need to just be patient and wait. Um, it, yeah, it, 
that um, it makes me think that they, you know those things that you put around um, uh, a project or an event, even if they're not used, sometimes just yeah. yeah them being there means that it's possible for somebody yeah to attend. So like the rest in spaces that we've created at Bristol Old Vic, yeah. it might be that people don't use them, but that they but knowing that they're there yeah. means that they might yes. venture to the theatre that yes. night, even if they are fatigued or they are experiencing a lot of pain yeah um but so it's hard i don't i don't mean it's hard to make the case for it if if it if um you know from a kind of money point of view if it feels underused but though i think i think you're right those things hold something in, mm. in a certain way so that even if they're not used they're important their presence is really important um yeah the uh, i did i'd run this I ran this project as well called the Cloud Spotters uh, Book Club, which was kind of like an online space for anybody who was um, like navigating chronic illness um, at, as like a, a space to gently pause and think about alternative narratives to the mainstream ones about health and mm. illness and productivity and value. And we had a counsellor attached to that project so that um, we could only offer everybody two sessions, mm. but um, and and at first people people didn't take up the offer, but there was something about um, him being part of that 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 made it feel super held. Yeah. Um, so so like you say, if somebody had had a really a really bad episode or been really triggered by something someone else said in the in the session, that there was. A clear person to go to, and somebody who's like skilled and knows mm. how to how to access services and refer on if if need be. Um, and it and and that wasn't necessary, but it, yeah, it felt like an important an important part of the project. Um, With exposure, mm. so the other thing we've been trying to figure out is actually. So we had oversight therapy when we were filming it. What's that? So that's like what a therapist would have or a psychologist would have. So every therapist, every psychologist sees a psychologist or a therapist. Oh, like a supervisor. Like yeah, supervision. supervision. Mm. So, and I've started working with this really brilliant woman, Stephanie. So we started seeing her before we started filming. And that felt, and that was accidental, but that felt really brilliant because actually what that did is she was saying before we'd even met a health worker and started filming her questions were about what are our coping strategies mm -hmm. how do you get on with the rest of your life how do you allow space for those feelings but also be able to cook your dinner mm. watch some shit tv mm. do childcare, whatever mm. so that felt something quite important that it's actually not about it's not a responsive thing it's a preemptive thing mm. so that and we would do that individually and also collectively so we'd work together as a group so Becky Summerling who was producing the interviews mm. we would sit together and she would often sit in the interviews and we would know each other's coping strategies so we'd know okay the interview finishes um, Obviously, we're checking in with the contributor. Um, we're getting them in a taxi back to wherever they're going. We're, we, you know, we paid for their childcare, things like that. We were referring them on to psychological support. But also then it's like, we get out the room as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. We go for a walk for 20 minutes or we'd go for a swim. Um, <clears throat> we would not do emails in the evening, all that kind of stuff but we'd also check in with each other. Um, we'd make sure that we had snacks, you know, all those little things, but that was put in place in advance. And that's kind of seeped into other projects uh, that I've been doing over the last year, and that feels important. Mm. That's, would, you call, would you call that like your care strategy for your, for your team or? Um, it's an approach, mm -hmm. yes, but that has to be responsive to the individual's needs and approach to it because I've been working with somebody else recently 
who said, I'm done with talking. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do like talking therapy, I'm done with it. Uh, and then a few days later, they turned around and said, can I go for a massage? And I was like, yeah. Like if you would rather use that portion of the budget to go and get a massage, yeah, great, Yeah, do that. So I well, think it's the offer of it mm. and working with people to figure out what that offer is for them. What's that line called in your budget? Access. Access, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Access budget. <laughs> dear, dear Arts Council. <laughs> but that, I mean, and, and then the other thing is paid rest days. Right. So everybody gets paid rest days. Mm. Um, That's amazing. How, how, like, how often do you? Do you not do that? No. Oh my God, you need to do that. Yeah. So that started. So the other big project I've been working on for a long time is the Model of a Designer Asylum project. Mm. And we, that's the project about imagining like utopian mental health spaces. And we were doing research <clears throat> in a men's high security mental health hospital. It was like super, super intense. Mm. And Hannah Hull, who was working on that with me, suggested that the day after we go to work in the hospital, we shouldn't work. Mm. And then I was like, yes, but we need to earn money. And I think we were, they were just kind of jokingly stumbled on the idea of like, well, we should be paid to rest. And then we were like, actually, that's not a bad idea. So now on a lot of projects, you, would, you are allocated a certain amount of paid rest days because, um, and it's really difficult. When people come into a project, they're like, oh, okay. So on that day, I just do my emails and catch up and they're like, no, 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 no. Mm. You don't work and you get paid because mm. you're mm. being paid to rest. So you don't have to worry about money that day. Mm. Um, and the Arts Council have been all right with that. Great. That that sounds similar to something Rosanna does about, um, yeah, with with paid paid rest days for, for the young artists yeah. she's working with. Um, I don't know why I haven't done that yet. That sounds amazing. Yeah, especially after an in, uh, an intense period of, yeah. of working to, to take the time to yeah, to gather and, and, and do what you need to be well before you sort of... And, and people on PAYE get time in lieu, don't they? Mm. So it's just like that for freelancers, mm. you know. Mm. It can be really hard to, to do. D does it? Is it is it a hard thing to sort of negotiate with your producers or no, no 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 not no. with the producers but with oh, what hard to actually do the rest it's hard work. it's hard to go like yeah. allow yourself yeah because you go well I don't have to work today but I also have so much catching up to do mm. um, it's got easier for me since becoming a parent mm. um, because there's just the joy of parenting mm. that I'm like craving um, and also easier since moving out of London and living by the sea because mm. you're like wow I'm gonna go swim in the sea yeah. and I'm like that's yeah. fucking amazing yeah. <laughs> um, yeah that sounds like a great model I think what I'm something I'm really interested in in these conversations is yeah kind of pooling the knowledge of what we're all doing together so mm. that you know, maybe we don't have to, you know, learn them s those things by ourselves. Yeah. We can sort of dream what a kind of more like restful way of working is or what a more cared for way of working is um, together. I also somehow attribute resting and dream time. Because mm. as an artist, it's really difficult to have time to think. Um, and so often what happens if I'm not working, it's actually just like thinking or looking about thi at things and having the time to kind of do all of that stuff. Mm. Oh, I've observed that thing over there. There's kind of like the politics around rest. Uh, and this is like the big question I'm going through at the moment. There's the politics of rest and care and la 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 la. Mm. And then there is COVID-19 pandemic, children, young people's mental health, utter shit show, mm. like really distressing. Mm. 
complete collapse of ecological systems, Tories. So there's this huge crisis and then there's the need to rest. Yes. How do you put those two together? Yes. Can you figure that one out for me? I'd love to know the answer to that. I mean, Rosanna was saying a similar thing because she works in, uh, in she's, well, she would say, I think, that she has one foot in activism. Yeah. And that in those spaces, the sense of urgency means mm. it is very difficult mm. to rest. Um, and also there's a kind of cultural assumption that in those spaces you give everything, mm. like absolutely everything you can because of the urgency, I mm. guess. Um, and she was also wondering how, how you, how, yeah, how you square those things. And I, and, and does my rest always mean that somebody else has to pick up the work? Like is, yeah. is that, is th that what has to happen in a system? Or like, can we build in enough flex yeah. somehow? Um, she she's working on a model uh, for institutions where there is a designated care coordinator, mm. so somebody who's kind of trained to be there to to provide care for the team, yeah, uh, and for the artists uh, and for the, all those different processes. But that's something she's like researching at the moment. Um, yeah, I don't know how. What, what would you say are the politics of rest and care? I think I know what you mean when you say that, but I'm I, I wonder if what I think is different to what you think. Um, well, I think it's intuitively li linked to sins invalids disability justice thing can, can you say a bit more about that do you know about the disability justice manifesto uh by sins invalid by um is it lona i can't uh, brain freeze i don't know i don't think i know it okay so that's going to completely blow your mind okay okay great <laughs> <laughs> i mean it really is yeah. and i get a bit like frustrated why the disability art scene in the UK is not all over it. Like we're still talking about access and I'm like, like access is important, but it goes way beyond access. Um, so the, the 10 point, so even the notion of disability justice, right? Mm. Mm. Mental health justice, rest justice, mm -hmm. care justice. Mm. So it's not about access into a broken system. Yes. I don't want access into a broken system. I want to fucking dismantle that system yeah. and build something in a just way, yes. in a caring way, in a restful way. And in that manifesto, which is made by Sins Invalid, which is a West Coast American performance company, um, <clears throat> they have the idea of leadership of the most impacted, um, which is such a beautiful idea. And I think that is something I'm trying to explore around young people and mental health. Mm. So if we are a movement of like mad pride, mad justice, like neurodiverse, like um, whatever, mm. the politics around that, mm. how, and if, and the most impacted in that sphere are young people, particularly trans young people, black, South Asian, and all that other intersectional shit, mainstream dominant culture crap. Yes. Right? How can those young people lead mm -hmm. that? And if we can build organizing structures, aesthetic approaches, care structures, rest structures that can support that group of people to lead, mm. um, there's something, there's real radical potential in that. Yes, yes. So I used to do really hardcore activism, like uh, Descent Against the G8, Wombles, Climate Camp, where there was a culture of burnout, of like tyranny of structurelessness mm. and, um, <clears throat> uh, and we got shit done. Mm. <laughs> yeah. We really got some shit done. Yeah. 
and then we like all got burnt out or like we found out all our mates were spy cops and we never dealt with it and everything fell oh, apart shit. right so um the politics of rest the politics of care is intuitively anti-capitalist mm -hmm. is intuitively mutual because mm -hmm. i'm also like self-care can get to fuck right mm -hmm. i'm interested in mutual care mm -hmm. like so if we are if people with lived experience of all forms of disability and exclusion and dominant culture bullshit mm. can support each other yes. and meet each other where we are and validate each other's experiences and and listen um then that is an intuitively anti-capitalist politic mm. because it removes competition yes it is actually it's horizontal it's horizontal organizing yes right yes because um and it's intersectional we're so we're saying this is your experience this is my experience and here's the venn diagram where we're all meeting and we don't all have to agree of everything but um uh and we're celebrating call out culture and we're celebrating challenging each other and learning together and yes, all that kind yes. of stuff right yeah so um but it's it's really complex mm. and so the other thing i've really been thinking about in relationship to all of this is fred hampton's rainbow coalition so fred hampton was one of the black panthers mm -hmm. he was killed murdered and he had the idea that the black panthers and the young lords and different racialized groups in america should actually work together under a rainbow coalition mm. and that there was quite difference in their politics but actually them working together was really powerful mm. so um leadership of the most impacted yes coalitions um and working in safe and sustainable ways mm -hmm. is is a thing yes so the work in oh someone's coming in hello hello yeah yes. we're just doing a recording we're just recording a little interview is that sasha no it's katie oh hello katie could you come back in a bit katie yeah. just cool. like 10 minutes yeah, yeah, no, thank you that's no, all right no, no. Um, I wanted to just ask about so the working with the people most impacted. Yes, what you're doing now, like in your next project with with young people, with the 2.8 million. 2.8 million minds, and also with uh, a project called For They Let in the Light, which I'm doing with Chisholm Hill Gallery. So uh, yeah, For They Let in the Light is the partner piece to Exposure. Mm -hmm. So that was it's a film piece that. Um, exposures about healthcare workers in Newham mm. for their lesson the light is about young people in a acute mental health hospital in Newham mm -hmm. during the same time period around COVID I see yeah mm. and you're training those young people to to be able to train organisations to be more caring spaces did I understand that right um for facilitating is what the art world mm -hmm. some of the art world to be fair and government and policy people and the nhs want is for co-production co-creation mm. and i'm like yeah not so interested in that mm -hmm. <laughs> um, i'm i mean i i yeah i co-creation often isn't co-creation um but what what are you interested in then is it kind of takeover 
dismantle and yeah, take dism- over, which is dis- what I'm, dis- Dismantle, yeah. I mean, it's literally on my T-shirt, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 it is. <laughs> um, power, people with power don't cede power willingly. Mm. It's taken. Mm. Now, I'm not so interested in, in the violence of revolutions. I've been in riots, I've been in things like that, and, and I don't, I'm never gonna say to somebody, you can't defend yourself. I'm never gonna say to those young people that rioted in Tottenham that you can't defend yourself because they have every right to do that. But, um, yeah, like, the Tories aren't going to cede power to mm. disabled children. Mm. <laughs> They're mm. not. Mm. So, is it possible for disabled people or anybody else that experiences dominant culture bullshit to create alternatives that are so seductive mm. and so affirmative and so beautiful mm. that everybody's like, cool, let's do that, mm. right? Because mm. why would we do anything other than that? Yes, yeah, it's making the revolution irresistible. Yeah, it's exactly. That piece, it's yeah. that whole thing. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, which, yeah, which I mean, I haven't, I haven't seen exposure yet. I'm seeing it tomorrow. I'm very excited about it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, there was something you said earlier about like the, the beauty, because I think. Um, I found that with cloud spotting, uh, we were telling stories that were quite difficult to hear. Yeah. And I guess our part of our strategy for caring for the audience was this invitation that the audience rests while they listen, so that they're hearing stories about people's attempts to rest in public whilst they are also themselves resting. Um, and that that seemed to work, uh, so that. So that people pe- people resting and being more vulnerable seemed like they could then open to stories that were maybe difficult to hear at times, mm. but um, they were also very held by the music, which sort of really beautifully duets with the stories. Um, and but yeah, at, at the end of both, there's an installation version and a performance version, and I guess the ending of both is more hopeful or is more kind of. Um, draws attention to, to, to the beauty um, that is possible within even very difficult experiences. Um, and so I, I just wanted to ask you something about that in, in the way that you do challenge narrative and, and use different narratives, um, how you walk that line, I guess, between not turning away from what's difficult, but also um, making space for the joy and the poetic. Um, well, in terms of like not turning away from the difficult, mm. there are sometimes practical questions around what can and can't go into the public domain. Mm-hmm. So with exposure, there are things that I have been told that can't go into the public mm-hmm. domain and won't for a hundred years. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's patient confidentiality. Um, there are things that um, like you have to go like who who what is the benefit of showing this? Yes. Um, and equally with the for the letting the light piece there are just genuine safeguarding questions around a young person writing about sexual violence and protecting that young person from uh, the harm, Mm. the real harm, and also the, what it means to talk about that publicly. Mm. And that once it's out there, you can't take that back. So there's a certain amount of like, I have some experience in this, so I'm gonna guide you and have some conversations with you and I'm never gonna censor you, but I am gonna strongly say, I think we should remove that line 
for mm. these reasons and we can have a conversation about that or is there other ways you can write about this experience whilst also protecting yourself mm. Mm. Um, and then when you are in a mental health hospital it can be really funny and silly and you can make jokes about really inappropriate things mm. <laughs> and you're all there in this fucking horrible place and there's an other than like patient staff power dynamic thing going on and you know you're making jokes about how you're going to kill yourself and everybody's like trying to outdo each other uh, or like um oh when you're at the bottom yeah you can make really inappropriate jokes yes and what's really important is you're aware about who's in the room when you do that you know you're not doing that in front of an audience mm. there are things that i've happened in when making where i'm like i would never put that in front of an audience mm. because people just wouldn't get it mm. do you know what i mean but in this context like that young person i am giving them the license by modeling a certain way of talking about my mental health that gives them the license to go actually this is really fucking weird and surreal and like what the fuck and let's joke about it mm. and mm. we can own that experience because we all have the experience to do it yes do you know yes. what i mean it's our experiences and we're claiming that and we're being playful with language and like like the young a lot of the young people i work with there's all these like weird codes of badge of honor like oh you've got a, an ambulance blanket so that means you were brought into the ha hospital with a, on a, in an ambulance oh has that got more kudos exactly like, right right yeah so so <laughs> they can rip the shit out of the kid that doesn't have the ambulance blanket right, right? <laughs> but it's done with so much love mm. do you know what i mean mm. it's like you're using humor to meet people with love and you're and then also just the beauty in in not being afraid of the reality of what's going on mm. and it's that uh what's that maya angelou quote there's nothing more sad than an untold story mm. or something like to be able to speak about what you've been through of course is hard and mm. of course is painful but just the fucking joyful release of like it mm. and the joyful release of then somebody going yeah i know what you mean yeah i hear you and i see you mm. and i feel it as well and that and i've been through it as well and then you're like that release can be really beautiful and joyful mm. Mm. And then also kind of having a dance at the end of it. <laughs> mm. oh, is that what you do in exposure? No, no, okay. no, no, we no, don't. no, no. In, in, but just in, in life, yeah, like, yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah. In um, the Cloud Spotters cafes that I kind of host, feel like that kind of space, uh, well, similar to the space you're describing, in that everybody in there has a, a sim, a similar experience, and we get it. Yeah, and you can say things in that space that you can't say in yeah. other spaces without people getting really worried or like you say finding it really inappropriate yeah. and we can we can joke about it and we can and we can we can go to the you know the real extremes of yeah. both yeah um and it's okay because everyone everyone sort of gets it and yeah. like you say sees each other and um what i love about that that space is that uh, it, it the group taking care of each other is quite amazing mm. and, I, and I'm, I'm not sure why it happens in that space and maybe not in other spaces but like it, I, I mean I host the space but I definitely don't uh, it, ev everybody takes care of each other somehow yes uh, I, I don't know how to take that how to create that in every space you but know, maybe you don't need to no maybe you don't need to maybe yeah. it's okay for things to be exclusive mm. Mm. And maybe it's okay to say this is our space. Mm. Like, mm. yeah, it, it's fine for other communities to say like this is our space and you're not welcome here. Yeah, and for for me to go, it's not my space. Yes, and I, and I shouldn't be there. 
Yeah, that's true because there's yeah there's the there's the trust that comes from knowing that we all have the same experience. Yeah. That um, yeah yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I love, yeah. I love, <laughs> I, 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 I just, oh, I don't know, just fucking think that you're, the work you do is great, and I can't wait to see exposure tomorrow. And ex yeah, exper that's that will be the first time that I experience your work firsthand, rather than is it? rather than voyeuristically <laughs> just following you <laughs> on the internet and like, you know. right, um, right, so, right. Um, yeah. So I'm really, really excited about it, and um, thank you so much for taking. I mean, it's not like just so you know, yeah. it's like it's not like this polished thing. Is that, I think that just to like end on, yeah. I think that's also part of the aesthetics of rest and care. There's actually a challenging of dominant aesthetics around, around art. Mm. That, that thing of, if it's a fabric and the, and the edges are fraying a little bit, that's actually an aesthetic that I'm really interested in, mm. where it's like, and that does come from disability culture, where it's like, listen, it's amazing that I've even been able to get on stage. Yes. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So this yeah. is going to be a bit wobbly. Yeah. And like, not everything's perfect, and I might use a script at times, la, 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 la. But that beauty in that yeah. aesthetic. In, yes, in being, being able to sort of be exactly as you are. Yeah. It took me. It took me a while on on Cloudspotting when we when we like the first time that we actually had it up for and like <clears throat> for, for two weeks of performances in Coventry last year as part of uh, UK City of Culture, and it 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 took me the first week. Well, actually, it took me having a flare up mm. and then doing the show in a flare up to realise that the space was a crip space and I could be I could. I could be however I needed to be in it. But yeah. Actually, that that space was for that. So if I needed to, I don't know, if I needed to not climb up the ladder, if I needed to to, to lie down next to the audience to do it, if it, it, yeah. would, it would all be okay. Yeah. Like however I was feeling yeah. was okay. And once I understood that, it was weird that I didn't get it from the beginning. But once I understood that, it really, it it, it changed the space for me. It changed the and it changed the feeling of of doing the show for me. Yeah, and the, and the beauty in that, in being able to, to think about, you know, performance as, 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 as a form of vulnerability. Yeah, and being wherever you are, rather than yeah. kind of like sort of pushing something out. Um, yeah, forcing something. Or just presenting a very polished side of yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't exist. <laughs> Thank you for having this conversation. That's all right. Oh, it's been, yeah, it's been brilliant. I've learnt a lot. Press stop. Press stop. That's it. <laughs> <laughs>
people have inherent worth outside of commodity relations and capitalist notions of productivity. Each person is full of history and life experience. Point six, sustainability. We pace ourselves individually and collectively to be sustained long-term. Our embodied experiences guide us toward ongoing justice and liberation. Point seven, commitment to cross-disability solidarity. We honor the insights and participation of all of our community members, knowing that isolation undermines collective liberation. Interdependence. Point eight, we meet each other's needs as we build towards liberation, knowing that state solutions inevitably extend into further control of our lives. Point nine, collective access. As brown, black and queer-bodied disabled people, we bring flexibility and creative nuance that go beyond able-bodied-minded normativity to be in community with each other. And point 10, collective liberation. No body or mind can be left behind. Only moving together can we accomplish the revolution we require. Thanks for listening today.